that idea that a white knight is going to come in and save your financial hide is mm. <laughs> a big, and, big mistake. Well, not only the notion of it, but the fa- but the belief system that you can find that person on your own. Like, good luck. Mm-hmm. We are here with another Lean and Mean episode of the Cold Star Project, the podcast about the unexpected challenges of scaling for tech and manufacturing founders who started a business, got selling, and then realized, whoa, (laughs) I'm going to have to do things differently uh, to get from here to here on the revenue plateaus. Otherwise, I'm not going to make it. So I'm here with John Paramore, who is uh, an awesome guy about uh, bringing on sales teams and sales team members so that you can scale them. John, thanks for being here. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me. And I like the setup. That's awesome. Very, very <laughs> professional looking. Yeah, so we, um, let's assume that our uh, viewers don't know anything about you and what you do. Let's yeah. begin with the story that I often see you talking about in your marketing about creating a business that you ultimately didn't like. What happened? Yeah, it, it wasn't. Uh, um, so for the last 17 years, um, actually, before we started, uh, the stuff we do now, um, I was in the world of contracting and uh, built a business uh, over 17 years that, that did in excess of $80, $80 million in revenue, um, had as many employees as 125 at any given time. Um, and we, uh, it, you know, like I, I had uh, several instances and, and uh, situations where we grew it to a very high level and then would like tear it all down and, and start over mostly out of boredom. But what I I found uh, later in my life was it was a lack of fulfillment. So I was focusing on uh, an industry that I really love deep down inside, but I just really couldn't uh, serve the, the type of people that I really wanted to serve. And because I got into it at such a young age, I felt trapped and imprisoned by it. Um, and uh, ultimately uh, in 2009, ended up driving it into the ground and then uh, successfully rebuilding it a couple of years later to turn around and sell it and uh, ultimately end up where we are today. So a lot, lot of fun stories, man. Like the, the stories that I could tell you about uh, growing a business from when I was 23 years old uh, to when I sold it when I was 37. I mean, it was, uh, it was, it was the most incredible experience uh, ever, but also the largest uh, lessons of my life came from uh, doing some really crazy and dumb nonsense with it. So it's it's been it's been amazing. So all right, you have a uh, a new branding, I guess, over the last year with a rhinoceros in it. Uh, tell yeah. us about that. It's actually uh, we started when we started uh, our brands, our companies. Uh, we wanted something really powerful, um, but everybody uses a lion. Everybody's like, oh, you got to be strong like a lion. And so I didn't want to brand it uh, anywhere near that. I actually wanted to make it more uh, where there's like a calm subtlety uh, with the rhino, but there's also like this, if you mess with it, um, it's going to mess you up uh, kind of thing. So uh, that's why we really like it. Like it's, it's almost like it's not in the, and that's a lot how we operate and why we identified so well with it. It's not one of those creatures that like just uh, goes around all day long and, and um, tries to kill things. It's more of like the subtle beast that's like in its own right, you know, by looking at it, it's very powerful. Uh, but if it wants to create, uh, you know, some level of uh, uh, disturbance, it can do that as well. Um, so that's the reason why we, we chose that. But uh, it goes well with our our company name smash lift and move 
they all kind of uh, intertwine one another and are branded by the rhino. Right, so, right on. <laughs> Love that. Yeah, pretty cool. So let's dig into scaling sales teams. Why is it, and I, ah, I see this all the time, the advice out there of just hire a commission-based salesperson, put an ad up and, and get a commission-based salesperson. Why is that good, bad, ugly? What, what happens when you do that? Well, so the, the phrase itself is not the destructive part, the, the just hire a commission-only sales rep. The, the, what tends to be more destructive is the fact that most people believe that they can train or mold anyone into becoming uh, a sales rep. That people by nature, because they see the opportunity and the possibility to make a lot of money, just accept the fact that uh, they'll do it by commission only. And one thing that we find is there are definitely people that are DNA geared or DNA built to do that. But those people are like the less than half a percent, right? Like they're there and there's got to be, they've got to be drawn to a particular product. They've got to have a belief in, in the core of what that product does or what that, that company does. Uh, there, there's just like some intangibles that need to go in it. But it's if for, for somebody who's listening to this, who might say, man, I'd love to find a commission only sales rep. If you don't have like, some level of opportunity, if there's not some level of training, if there's not some level of legion, like if there's not some guts to that, and the, the sole purpose that you're trying to do that is to save money or to uh, prevent from having to pay a salary, that's just like a giant recipe for disaster. Like we see that happen all the time. Love it. Yeah. And that idea that a white knight is going to come in and save your financial hide is mm. <laughs> a big, and big mistake. Well, not only the notion of it, but the fa but the belief system that you can find that person on your own. Like, good luck. Mm -hmm. like and those guys want to work for you, right? <laughs> exactly. Those guys that are that are that way um, are already working for one of your competitors. They're not living on job boards and things like that. So, right. So yeah, let's let's get into a bit of that then. Okay. Yeah. Um, what what should be what should people be filtering for? Obviously, they should come talk to you <laughs> because you could help source them. But what should they be looking for if they do decide to go out on their own and, and try and get a good salesperson? So, so just like uh, I actually spoke at a conference not that long ago where we were talking about salespeople. And the, the main question I asked people was, uh, how many in this room, how many people in this room by a show of hands can throw a baseball 100 miles an hour and not a single person raised their hand? And I was like, okay, cool. So by a show of hands, how many people feel like they could throw a football the length of a football field and nobody raised their hands? And I'm like, okay, so by, uh, again, by a show of hands, how many people in this room feel like that they are accountants? Maybe five, six, seven people raised their hand. And I'm like, okay, so how many people in this room, if you were going to hire a sales rep, believe that they have the capacity to uh, hire a sales rep right out of the gate first try? And like, the, like a lot of people in the room could raise their hand. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. So the sales, salespeople by nature have a certain set of DNA. Like just like the guy that can throw a baseball 100 miles an hour, just like the guy that can throw a football down a football field, there is a clinical, like, like these people are born with this sp specific type of like mentality. It is not a taught mentality. It is not a learned behavior. It's who they are at their core. And so when a default mechanism inside of an organization is, well, anybody can be taught how to sell, that's actually not accurate. The accurate statement is someone who possesses the intangibles can be molded into 
a very high performing and pro and producing salesperson. That's the reality. It's just like if you were to take me who is sales minded uh, by, by DNA and you were to ask me to become a bookkeeper and you put me in an environment where I got to become a bookkeeper, like people are going to die. Like that's not who I am at the core. So finding these people is, is a process. It is done by having an opportunity that they will thrive in. And um, we might talk about this a little bit further down the line, but there, it's not so much like I see a lot of sales ads on um, Indeed and Monster and ZipRecruiter and all those places. And they try to make them very uh, benefit and incentive laden. Like, oh, hey, hey, we pay more money in sales than XYZ or come here where the opportunity is make 100K first year. The best of the best sales reps already know in their mind, they can pretty much go wherever they want and write their own check. Like they have that certainty in their mind. Like I could, you've heard the old phrase of I could sell a ketchup popsicle to a woman in a white dress. Like that's how they really think. Like they have the capacity to do that. They're not super interested in the money that you're offering. What they're more interested in is what does the opportunity look like? Right. Can I plug in here? Can I, can I get to work quickly? Are people actually buying this thing already? Exactly. Not, is it an easy, is, is the path of resistance simple or is it incredibly complicated? You know, like that's the kind of stuff that they want to know. And, and honestly, like there are some things out there that are complicated to sell. Like there are big ticket items, like selling a, a, a package of F-18s to a foreign country is not an easy sale, right? Like that's a complicated sale. It takes a specific individual to be able to handle something like that. But there's also a big payoff for somebody like that in the end when that thing goes down. So, All right. So first bit of advice from John there after don't look for the white knight is write your ad about the opportunity, not about the performance That's benefits it. Of, That's the, it. of the opportunity. When it comes to reward structures or performance plans, what do you see that has gone horribly wrong? <laughs> <laughs> um, overpaying. Uh, on the front side, um, I would say any sales rep that comes into your organization that asks for a nominal salary, or I'm sorry, nominal is the opposite, for, for a large salary is likely not a fit. Most sales guys uh, that come into an organization, if you paid them some level of a base, uh, something small, or you gave them some level of a draw, something small, and the incentive program uh, is, is in their favor, uh, and it, and it, essentially has, is a culture of constant winning. Uh, those are the things that work really well. The things that don't work really well are the big-sided salaries, um, the, the very difficult process to getting to a sale, um, things of that nature. Like Those are deterrents for the high-level salespeople. They don't want to mess with that stuff. So the easier you make the process of, of prospecting or landing a sale – and combined with a very um, lucrative reward when it happens, that's the best environment for most sales reps to go into. Like that's what they're looking for. Like what's the path to get me there? And when I'm there and I, and I create a sale that you're looking for, what's the incentive look like? Okay. For the John, I want you to dig into those stories from your past personally or clients that you've experienced. You don't have to name names. And if you want yeah. to share them, just start talking. Okay. <laughs> because yeah. that people really want to hear that. Yeah. So, so uh, we can, we can definitely go into that stuff. You tell me sure. when. Go. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> <At> anytime. <laughs> um, so, okay. So I've walked into, uh, for instance, uh, we do a lot of consulting work with a lot of different companies. I've walked into um, some companies before 
where they just couldn't figure out why, why the sales team wasn't producing sales on a consistent basis. And the number one thing that I, that in this particular instance that I found was that number one, there was an alignment issue. They had people that told them in an interview process that they could sell. And then once they got them behind a desk and got them on a phone, um, the guy couldn't close anybody in like the language, the framing language was off. Uh, the conversations they were having were off. They weren't fact finding. They were product justifying. Um, they were all over the place. Um, and then on top of that, uh, the ads that they were running to find these people talked about the promise of a paycheck. They didn't talk about the incentive of a paycheck. And so the types of candidates that they were, and this is a very powerful word if you guys are looking for sales reps, the kinds of candidates they were attracting were like the polar opposite of what they actually wanted. And so uh, what I said to the people that we were working with was, there's a phrase that goes, you get what you intend. And if you go back to when you wrote the ad, and if you go back to when you hired these people, what you actually ended up with was exactly what you intended. Now, it might not be what you desire, which we can correct, but it, it's definitely what you intended based on the ads that you wrote. So that's just like one specific example of like, you know, putting the wrong people on the wrong chairs, not properly outlining the core functions and attributes that you wanted to have these people um, essentially possess. And then once you got them into that system, not training them well on the language and the framing that they needed to be able to actually get people to buy something. Right. And I, I don't know. <laughs> I've seen that. I, for those who are not watching the video version of this, I've been nodding the whole way, John's been uh, <laughs> sharing that story. But uh, the best talkers often get the jobs, right? And that I is unfortunate that job interviews go that way. And I've also been that guy who's been the best talker and gotten mm -hmm. a job that maybe I wasn't the right fit for. Um, but I'm a pretty good sales guy, so I can get the the thing I can make the sale sometimes, even though I shouldn't. Right. And, and, yeah. I, and I know in my past, uh, in employment roles, sometimes I did that. So, and it led to what you talk about that misaligned thing where, uh, you end up looking for a paycheck and yeah. uh, steadiness instead of eager to grab hold of that opportunity. So what can a business owner do who wants to hire a salesperson we can, we start, you start talking about attraction mm -hmm. um, and not law of attraction, but filtering for the specific things that you want, which is somebody who's kind of hungry for the opportunity. Uh, somebody who knows their own value and just wants to kind of get into this steady stream. What about you talk about, uh, you see this sometimes um, prospectors versus closers. Mm -hmm. Do you believe in the division of labor? in those two things or can oh. one person do it all? Um, so we, we break them down into hunters and trappers, okay. right? Like, so that's the specific language. It's all, it's all relative, this, you know, relatively the same. Um, somebody in, in our world that we hire that thrives on the hunt, right? Like, it, it's, and I, mm -hmm. I don't mean to be crass. These terms are a bit crass, but I, I'm just gonna, I'm going to be blunt with you guys and just be honest. Right. So, that they enjoy the thrill of the hunt, meaning they like to connect to people. They like to have conversations with people. They like to find people in social networks. They like to find people uh, out and about that might be a really good fit for the product that they sell. Those people are fantastic at the front side process of the sales process. They enjoy the connection. They enjoy the relationship build part. 
Uh, they actually might be really, really good at the framing of a conversation and getting someone to buy something. Um, those people are, are the rarest of the rare breeds when it comes to sales because those people are willing to uh, go out and do things that most aren't, which means having a very raw conversation from, from jump. Like they could walk into a room and control a room because they just have that dynamic personality and, um, and, and that's what makes them very easy to get along with. They, they possess this special charisma, um, you know, things like that. So those people are very, very rare. The second group of people that we typically identify as uh, a trapper would be specifically, um, oh, so the first group of people, those would be like your door-to-door -door salespeople. Those would be like your uh, outbound uh, call, center, call center people, your, your telemarketers, things like that, okay? The second group of people, the trappers, those are more of the people that like, uh, like facilitate a lot of inbound leads um, and their responsibility is essentially to walk those people through a specific cadence that gets them to uh, a sale. Um, those also might be people sitting in a call center. Those might be people at a car dealership. Most of the time, um, actually, we do a lot of recruiting for car dealers. And one of the things that we find is the mistake they make is they say, when we talk to them, we want somebody that'll go get it right? Well, that's like the opposite of a car dealership, right? Not many car sales guys that are really, really good, like walk outside of the four, uh, the, you know, the box and like start going to like Taco Bell or Walmart or Target or somewhere and start having conversations with people about buying an automobile. Like that just doesn't happen. They sit inside of a box, which is called a car dealership. They wait for somebody to come in. And then when they come in, they put them through a specific set of cadences and essentially they sit them down at a desk and they begin the process of negotiation. So that essentially is a trapper. Once the people come to them, it's their responsibility to trap them into a purchase. So that's, can, can, so back to your original question, can those be the same people? It's, it's very rare. Usually somebody who's really great at prospecting is not a fit for uh, a like a trapping role. Like they they wouldn't be great at at like hard closing somebody on a phone or something of that nature. The the, the same the opposite is also true. If somebody's really really good at um, at sitting behind a desk and closing people up, they're typically not the same people that are really great at going out and finding prospects. So just very different personality types. Both equally as good, likely in sales, but just very different personality types. Okay. And so this is another caution for business owners <laughs> who are looking at, you know, scaling their sales department. You better be clear on what you want. Absolutely. Because right? if you, yeah, I see a lot of car dealerships. I've been working with them for a lot of years now. Uh, they want those salespeople to make calls, outbound calls and get people on a list and pull them into the dealership and stuff. And yep. sometimes I wonder, you know, is, is that the right person to be make and do that right well so so again same thing right like we've worked with guys that are same same way outbound calls follow-up leads heavy in the whatever and it's you just don't you want that guy to be more aggressive maybe pay him a little bit more because he's willing to do a little bit more work but that's not the guy that you want like sitting behind a desk all day what waiting for somebody to walk in like that guy will get stir crazy and um you know will be the guy tapping his finger at, you know like hey we need more leads you know like that's the, that's the difference, right? So this very different personality types. I caution you guys who are listening to this. This is a very common mistake where somebody hires a trapper in the place of a hunter and it just doesn't work. And the, the person might have legitimate sales skills, but you got to be real careful about uh, the types of environment that you put certain salespeople in for sure.
Right. John, where is that line? Where is it where the business owner can go, okay, I need a trapper or I need a, a hunter? So if you have a whole bunch of leads coming in, you need a hunter or a trapper. I'm sorry. So if you have a whole bunch of inbound calls coming in, you've got the lead stuff dialed in, you really need somebody who can trap those people when they come through the funnel or whatever the case may be and make, make those calls and close those deals. If you don't have a whole lot of leads coming in and your business, which some do, uh, rely on a sales force or a sales team to go out and prospect and close deals at the same time, like the door-to-door -door guys, uh, the alarm guys, the home services people, there's a lot of people that are really good on that side then what you need is a hunter. You need somebody who is aggressively going to go out and create new business. Awesome. I heard you talk earlier about, you mentioned putting prospects through a kind of cadence and, and having a, you know, sort of protocols and, and a process essentially is what you're talking about. Tell us more about the importance of a, a consistent sales process because a lot of the businesses out there that I have seen over the last 20 plus years don't have it. Oh my goodness. Um, it's, a, it's the difference between hiring a very high performing sales rep and having them succeed quickly and hiring a very high performing sales rep and having them fail miserably. <laughs> the, the process, like, it, like literally if somebody calls our organization and says, I want you guys to help me find a high performing sales rep, one of the very first questions that we qualify them on is, do you have an existing training process or protocol? It is mandatory. Because, what I, because I can go find somebody that possesses all the intangibles, whether they know your business or they don't, they could be completely green and still possess the intangibles, still possess the skill set, all that stuff. But if you don't have a, a, a process that helps them win out of the gate, it doesn't matter how great they are at sales. It, like they could, be the, they could be freaking the best. Of, like a, you could bring Zig Ziglar into your world and the likelihood of him succeeding without proper knowledge of what your product is and how it functions is like zero. So as long as you have like the process built out that like, like, what is it? How does it work? What is your, what is your real prospect need? Like, mm -hmm. you know, what do they want? How do they relate? What type of language do they use? Um, how do you frame them? What are questions that you want to ask? What are things that you need to find out? I mean, it's, it's relatively in depth. And the really cool part is like, once it's built out, it's built out. You don't have to ever build it again. And you can make that automated. You could make that, uh, uh, training room taught. It doesn't really matter, but that's essentially think about it like this. It's like a football team, a professional football team walking into a game on Sunday with no playbook versus a professional football team that walks in with a playbook. I don't give a crap if you build a football team of all-stars. If they don't have a playbook, they're going to get their asses beat by a, by a college team. Mm -hmm. So it's the exact same thing. Like, if you're hiring salespeople, if your desire is to hire high profile, high performing salespeople, there needs to be a playbook or a training protocol or system that gets them, the, that shows them the path of how to win and win quickly. Right. Yeah. Let's dig into uh, customer pain points, the language that they use. This is the real problem, the question behind the question that this thing exactly. solves. Because too many places I've been and personally worked at, uh, you know, they just shove the price list and the product manual across the desk at you and say, there you go. Yeah. And, and these would be organizations with nine, 10 people in the sales room. Yeah. So, and everybody was doing it differently. Every, every yeah. single one. And they didn't know and they didn't care. So it, well, it is how do you think, baffling. How do you think the customer experience is going to be? 
mm-hmm. when it's delivered differently every single right. time, right? How do you build it? How do you build a client base of raving fans when one person talking to the next person is like, well, my sales guy didn't do that. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's, it's a mess, right? So again, you know, uh, I get fired up about that stuff because, yeah. you know, sales, they are my people. Those salespeople are my people and I'm looking out for my people. So yeah, I get it. Well, feel free to pop in with a story at any time about (laughs) this stuff. Let's dig into scaling a little bit more. As you go, you're going to, let's say in the beginning, you're going to want a bunch of hunters and then you got the lead gen problem sorted out. And then now I got tons of leads. So now I got to get those trappers going on. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of shifting priorities from one year to the next, maybe. Uh, and then I got economic upturn, downturn, whatever to deal with. Is there a, a North star or something that you can, that keeps your focus as you're scaling a sales team, something that you should always be keeping in mind? Um, I, so for me, when any, anytime I've built or helped build or scaled a sales team, the common theme is, uh, I, I want there to be a process of consistency. I want there to be uh, a team full of winners. I want there to be a team full of people who are always succeeding. And um, the, the North Star or the ultimate target would be um, to not have some, anybody on my team or anybody in the dynamic um, that's, that's causing drama or yeah. turmoil or issues or problems or whatever. And so actually, um, Katie, who's my partner in all of this, um, put a quote on social media today that was really, really powerful. That's like when the business relationship, when you, when you can no longer see that person in the business relationship in the future, the relationship working together is over. And I think what happens is so many people bring low pro, like low performing salespeople into an organization and they're held hostage by those people that they feel like if they were to rid themselves of those people, um, they would be cutting off one of their legs. And the opposite is actually true. If you're in a sales organization and you've got three guys that suck and one guy that's good and you cut the three guys that suck, what doesn't happen is the really good guy doesn't then suck. The really good guy then accelerates and then he, by nature, by because he starts putting out a different vibe, um, other people are attracted to that and want to come work inside of that organization too. So if the 